This week's episode is brought to you by Boomerangs. No matter how far they go, they always come back. Now it's our turn to, uh, sorry for the words, but put our balls on the table. How do you like that, man, folks? Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph House, and you're locked into the Mile High Hockey Podcast for March 14th, 2016. Coming up on the show, the horse race can't stop, won't stop, tinfoil hattery, and we probably talk a lot more about playing with the lead, but before we play the whoosh, let's meet your disembodied voices for the week. Joining us again is Earl06. Hello, Earl. Howdy. And AJ returns from BSN Denver. Welcome back, AJ. Hi, you, sir. Hi to you. Well, without any further ado, let's just get right to it. I clicked that button like five times before the it actually whooshed. That was weird. Clickety clack. Yeah. It was mostly a strong week for the Avalanche beginning on Tuesday with a 3-1 win over the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, Varlamov made 37 saves, even though Colorado took 37 shots of their own. It was strange to see a high event game against Tippett's team. Sean Mathias, Mikhail Grigorinko, and Matt Duchesne on the power play responsible for the Avs 3. And a special FU to Boyd Gordon for futilely breaking up the shutout bed with 11 minutes to go. Then on Wednesday, Altitude makes sure to tell us at least 30 times the hottest team in the NHL was coming to town, so thanks for sticking to the message, I guess. Uh, but the Avs extinguished the Ducks 3-0 in a metaphor more mixed than a mojito. Another tally for Matthias as well as Nathan McKinnon and Andreas Martinson. Andreas Martinson? Why did I say Antonio? It's a 37-save shutout for Simeon Varlamov. Um, also in this game, Simone Dupre continued his uh, personal vendetta against the Colorado Avalanche. We've played them twice, and we've seen two multi-game suspensions as a result. Gabe Landeskog, with a really high cross-check, sits for three games. What did you guys think about that ruling? I wish he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The end. I mean, it was dumb. He deserved to be punished. You can't play stupid hockey like that. It's stupid and dangerous, man. It's... I don't know what he was thinking. It's There's just no place for any of that. He got suspended. He should have been suspended. And here we are. Apparently in his hearing, he said that he wasn't intending to target the head, which I'm perfectly willing to believe, but that's still what ended up happening. I mean, what I think happened here is he was like, hit this guy and just hit higher than he intended. Yeah, you yeah. just don't hit with your stick. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. Don't cross-check the guy. Yeah. I know that's impossible for a guy like Blake Como, who does it 15 times a game, but <laughs> Landeskog doesn't. No, it, it was unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, it looks like <clears throat> it slid off his shoulder pad a little bit, but I mean, still, you know, not the time for it. Finally, on Saturday, the Avs fly into Winnipeg, but can't finish off the Jets, falling 3 2 after taking a 2 0 lead in the second. Three straight penalties within eight minutes had a lot to do with that. Uh, Duchesne and Eric Johnson got the Avs too, and it could have been 3-0 as Mikkel Bodker had a gaping net to jam the puck into, but jams it into the post instead. And despite a 15-shot flurry of a third period, the Avs can't even the score in the end. So that makes eight successful hockey periods in total, but they could have really benefited from nine. Could have really benefited from nine. Really, I wouldn't really. say the second was a success. I mean, it started out, the first five minutes were nice with the two goals, but after that, um, they kind of got back on their heels. Uh, those penalties were basically caused by guys not moving their feet. Um, you know, it, it wasn't pretty. 
Yeah, I'm saying the the second half of the second and the first half of the third are the unsuccessful period. Yeah. Because I have I have I have I have nothing prescient to add there. I mean, yeah, I mean they 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 were rocking and rolling, and Bodker should have made it three zero, and it should have been great. It just it's just been kind of frustrating to watch <clears throat> Avalanche fans go berserk because they lost that lead in that game. Um. Because the, the team has been having good results this week. And for for 20 minutes out of the week, everything fell apart. And so the season is over. They're still tied in points with Minnesota. Yeah, this this concept that this is over. I mean, there's 13 games left. Minnesota's got, what, 14? Yep. They still have a game against each other on the schedule. You know, I mean, the Avalanche, their game... Uh, starting like last Wednesday or something, it was like they had four games in 14 days. So we're going to be doing a lot of sitting around and watching over the next two weeks. Yes. And then, you know, then, then you know, that's where Minnesota is going to actually catch up and pass the abs in, in games played. The Avalanche will have a game in, game in hand, I believe, by the end of that stretch. So, you know, this, this whole concept that it's, you know, it's over. It's like <laughs> they're still... You know, there's still 20 plus points on the line for each team here. We're not even, we're not even close to a magic number. We're not, not even, not even a realistic like, oh, technically they're still alive, but you know this team has to lose three games in a row while that team has to win. No, we're not even in that that kind of situation. It's they're tied in points. They've they've got one game separating them. They've got one game separating them in in the first tiebreaker in the rows. Like it's as close as it could, it uh, just about as close as it could possibly get right now. So it's, it's <laughs> this, the idea that it's over. It's like if the Avalanche were up two points right now, would you say it was over for Minnesota? Then no, of course not. But why is it? Why does it feel over when you know that it's tied in points and the abs have a tiebreaker and they have a game against him blah 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 i just i don't get it well, it's, just, it's, it's a new thing i mean the abs <laughs> haven't been in a close playoff race really for you know four or five years um in a two years ago it, it, it was pretty well in hand that they were going to make the playoffs but now we're kind of in the situation where we're living and dying on a daily basis and it's you know it's a new thing i can see people just saying the sky is falling all the time but i you know i think it's fun you know <laughs> it's great to be involved with something relevant at this time of year it's exciting yeah i mean i mean seriously those two points would have been marvelous on saturday uh, they, sure. they would have been now minnesota has to win their game in hand to keep it to keep the race tied um, and you blew it in the third period, and so now you are technically behind in the race, and so everything's terrible. I think a lot th – there is plenty of intelligent pessimism about the Avs' chances to make the playoffs right now because of how, yeah. how strong their schedule is, specifically in April, um, starting with Nashville and St. Louis back-to-back -back in like a week and a half. But, uh, but before then, I mean, there's – Plenty of very, very winnable games coming up to bank some points up while Minnesota hopefully help us out. Yeah, but any game you have to win, or you know, if at least the perception that you have to win it 
by fans, you know, that's a that's a tough game for the guys to win. It's a tough game for fans to watch. And then, you know, if you look at it, you're really only going to win, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, you know, maybe even more games. But you kind of look at every night like, damn, if we don't win tonight, it's all over. And, you know, it's just part of being a fan. It's, it's tough to get away from that mentality. But, you know, for, for people's sanity, I, I hope they kind of mellow out on it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Colorado shut out the goddamn Anaheim Ducks while Minnesota lost to the Edmonton Oilers. So, I mean, right. it's not With like... locker room meltdown video. Yeah. It's, it's not... And at that point, you're not going, all right, we're definitely in. Well done, guys. But I think the biggest, really the biggest, most damaging thing that's happened with the recent third period meltdowns is that Nashville separated. I'll because agree. if Colorado, I mean, even if, even if Colorado takes those games into overtime and loses, <laughs> you're talking about a handful of extra points and look at, look at where they are in the standings right now. They have four overtime losses. Minnesota's got 10 and Nashville's got 13. So that's been the biggest difference is that they haven't been able to find. And we've been talking about that all year that, you know, Colorado's all their games end in regulation. Yeah, they, they've played very few overtime games and they were the last team to make it to the shootout. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about this in the game thread last night that people, you know, just don't have the confidence they're going to tie it late. You know, it, it, even if Barry's got the stick, got his got the puck on his stick lining up with the goal. You just don't think it's going to go in like it did two years ago. And it's, you know, maybe it's, it's that luck that's evening out right now. If you want to look at it that way, but it's just, you know, we don't seem to be able to find that late game magic like we had in 2014. It's just frustrating to take 15 shots in the third and not be able to get one through Andre Pavlitz. Yeah. Yeah. That's frustrating. Yeah, I mean, because it, it's it certainly wasn't like they got like badly, badly, badly outplayed. You know, later, late as soon as basically as soon as it was three two, Colorado tilted that ice. They took control and they were they were flying around, and it just wasn't it just wasn't happening. I I wrote the for the for BSN yesterday. I wrote the the, the recap for that game and I I booked it all away. Like I wrote the the ending of the game. And all that was six minutes to go, and I just dared the Avalanche to change it. And... Nope, <laughs> I didn't do it. And that's why that's why that game ended. And fifteen minutes later, that thing was posted, and I was gone, I'm going out to do stuff for the night because <laughs> it was just so predictable. It like, made me press backspace. I dare you. Well, and so many times they've done it, and yeah. usually at home when I'm in the tunnel. You know, I I write <laughs> right. the ending of the game. I close my laptop. I go downstairs. And I watched the final four minutes um, up against the wall in the corner, and you know at I, at ice level, and they score something. Some one of the other team, you know, San Jose scored that time the um, with like a like a like minute fifty left, and yeah, and they did. They just didn't. It didn't happen last night. They just don't. I don't have any confidence whatsoever that they they're gonna find a way. Is that a good or a, a bad thing from the standpoint that they're not relying 
on winning games from behind late, late, late like that all the time. You know, it, I, I know it's bad to lose games like Winnipeg, but, you know, it, is there something in the confidence that, that they win their games just sort of flat out dominating rather than, you know, as people say, luck? Um, I mean, today I would say no, just because yeah. the sting of the loss is still there. You know, that that stench. But bigger picture, I would say it's a lot more encouraging, yeah, that they they started I mean that they it it's discouraging that they didn't play with all that jump and all that fire until they'd lost the lead and and they were trailing. But it's encouraging that instead of just playing another lethargic eight minutes of hockey, they spent the last ten minutes or so really getting after it. So, yeah, I mean, it's more encouraging there. And, you know, chances are, right, like that's the whole point. That's that's the whole point of 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 the Corsi and the, you know, the advanced stats with the with the throwing the puck at the net is that if you chances are right like that, statistically speaking, if you throw enough shots at the net, chances are one of them's going to get passed, especially a goaltender of, of Pavlik's pedigree. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean like it right like that's the whole point. So yeah. that's I mean yeah, it's encouraging, but it's it's discouraging that they don't just keep pressing like that. And I I know I don't know I don't know where that blame goes. I know a lot of people say it's coaching, a lot of people say it's the players. I I think I think it's a little bit of both and I also think that there's an opposing NHL team on the ice that you have to contend with at the same time. Right. Like you look at, you look at the Panthers game, what a week or two ago, and they had what, 24 shots in the third period. And I was essentially melting down on Twitter, like banging on the desk in the empty press box, because I was like, guys, look at what they're doing. This isn't Colorado sitting back and just dicking around. Like this is like Florida was, was pressing. Like they, they, there's a reason they gave up, Odd man rushes constantly. They had one defenseman pinching in to keep every puck into the zone at all chances. Like they were, they were only just they would get the puck, they would throw it at the net, get the puck, and just throw it at the net. And then every time Colorado tried to clear, they would just they would completely sell out one hundred percent. They were not worried about what happens if I don't make this play. There was no downside. They were just like, I'm just gonna go. And they're just gonna have to beat us. And Luongo bailed them out. They could have scored four third period goals in that game with the way Florida was playing, but everybody just sees the twenty four shots and is like, "Why does Colorado sit back on their heels all the time?" And it's like there's another team on the ice. So, and I, you know, that's you have to consider that. I mean, when you're a Colorado fan, you're gonna watch Colorado and you're gonna watch how they play and say, "Oh, okay, that makes sense." You know, they're this is how they play. And there's enough statistical evidence that says there's there's something seriously wrong with the way that they change how they play. But at the same time, the you know, opposing teams make adjustments too. Yeah, and I think to an extent that's what happened last night. I mean, after Duchesne scored the second goal, I mean Winnipeg, I mean, what do they care? I mean, you know, if they go down four nothing, do they really care? They're twenty ninth in the league. They just right. went for it. You know, I mean but you you have to be able to have a solution for that. Um, yeah. to some extent. And, and I think that's where the problem lies. And, you know, I'm like you, I don't think it's all coaching or all players. I, I, I just think they need to be able to have the experience of dealing with that and overcoming another team trying to inflict its will. 
uh, once they're down like that. What's so discouraging about that is this is not a new problem. This is a problem that we have seen since Patrick Waugh's first season in Colorado when they got completely hemmed in for 120 minutes in Minnesota in the playoffs. We, they cannot handle a strong forecheck, and that's, a, that's what essentially a team that's trailing in the third does, is they forecheck with five guys. Well, and that's where that's where a lot I I think that I I certainly don't disagree with you. I think you're you're totally accurate there. I just but I think that's where Colorado's talent, lack of talent, especially on the defensive end, comes into play there because there's only so many guys that effectively move the puck. You know, Boschman and Holden are I like I like their work. In, in the defensive zone in different areas. I think I think Holden's good on the boards. He's good in the corners. You know, he's good where he can when he can use his size and physicality and he can pin players and all that, he's pretty effective. But when it comes to get puck, move puck effectively and efficiently, the best thing that he does is he just ices it. And, you know, it's so it's so frustrating to watch. But you know, when he tries to make a play to a teammate, more often than not, it just doesn't go well. And that's where that that lack of talent gets exposed. You know, Zach Redmond tries to skate pucks out like he's Tyson Berry, and look look what happened last night when he tried to do that. He got he got stood up in the neutral zone and gave up a two on one. And Eric Jelena can't do it. Eric Jelena did all he could do on that. He he took away the shot and he did everything he could to limit the pass the best he could, and it just didn't it didn't work out his way. And I don't know how that puck got through Varley. Certainly not going to blame him for that. It was just one of those things. Like, and it all started. It started with Zach Redman. You know, when you have when you have players that can't move pucks effectively out of the zone, it. You know, when a team has a, a an aggressive five man forecheck going all out at the end of a game, that's where it comes in. That's where it comes into play. You know, there's been a lot of talk about oh, the forwards need to support better. You know, look at look at the Detroit game. Great example. Barry won his puck battle on the board, chipped it to Landeskog who blindly threw it right to the defenseman at the blue line, who's, you know, who put it back in the zone and it ended up getting behind Varley. And, you know, that should not happen. Barry did his job and Landis Cog failed completely because he just panicked. I don't, I don't know what the answer is there. I don't, is that, is that Landis Cog not knowing what to do? Is there not being a system in place for that? Is there not, I don't know where the failure goes between, Barry winning the puck battle, getting the getting the buck, getting it to to Landeskog, and Landeskog failing to clear it. Like, where's the where does the the breakdown there? Like, do you point strictly to coaching and say if there was a system in place, there would have been a guy for him to make a play to? There should be guys in position. There should be answers to those questions, or is it just Landeskog just panicked with the puck and just blindly threw it somewhere because he wasn't, you know, he was he just made a bad play. But you, it happens. You you know take out Landeskog, put in a different player in a different game last night. It was Redmond. You know that one time it was Landeskog, and it's it just you have all these different situations. You know where different guys are making the same mistake, and so you start to wonder, okay, what's the system here? That's why you start to ask about coaching. But you also look at these are you're asking players to to do something they're not good at. So I and this is where I get lost in it because I don't know who to blame for that. I don't know. I don't know where that breakdown happens, but in my heart of hearts, I think it's the players. I think it's I think it's just not having players who are good at moving the puck when you only have Eric Johnson and Tyson Berry back there. It's it, you're right though. It's really difficult to 
look at the game from the outside, especially from, say, my perspective with never having a chance in my life to go to a practice and see what they're working on. Like, it's just impossible to say, okay, are they being coached to throw the puck away or are they throwing the puck away? Well, and when you go to practice, I mean, they don't... Man, practices, NHL practice is the most overrated thing, I think, ever. Because simulate something like that. Exactly. It's not, you know, they have they have the abs coming in on an aggressive forecheck in practice and they move the puck and they do this. But they're also, you know, they're also not trying to hurt each other. They're they're playing aggressive, but not physical. You know, it's it's just it's just not a realistic situation. I just don't know. Practice is great for special teams work, and that's more or less how I feel about it. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's, it's again, you know, a mixture of things, but I, I really don't think that there is enough support by, you know, let's call them the F1 and the F2, the, the two forward forwards when breaking out of the zone like that. I think a lot of times you'll get the two further up guys – um, not staying back for that extra second that would make it easier, you know, for Landis Landis to make that pass in the Detroit game. Yeah, I think if there was someone that was you know five ten feet closer, it would have been easier for Landy to identify where that puck could have gone safely, rather than have to make something of you know you know a little more risky pass. And you know, I, I think that's sort of an experience thing. And, you know, maybe they're, you know, the, the guys that they have aren't, aren't quite as experienced at playing with leads in very difficult situations like that. So, you know, they're trying to stretch it out when you really need to collapse it in a little bit. Oh, now, you say all this. Now, correct me if I'm rem- remembering this incorrectly. Um, at the beginning of the season, we were jumping up and down, stamping our feet and shouting about, endless stretch passes that were getting picked off in the neutral zone or just straight up iced. And then we saw a shift. We saw a reasonably, uh, what's the word I want? Controlled, like supported. That's you see a a reasonably supported five man breakout for a little while. Where did it go? I, I, I think it's just guys getting jacked up and leaving the zone too early, but it's, it's not, you know, it's not something that's like cherry picking, like standing at the opponent's blue line. I think they're just probably five, ten feet, maybe even twenty feet out of position. If they just wait that second longer, you know, it, it would make it a much easier deal to get it out of the zone and move it through the middle like they need to. Um, you know, the F one, if we want to call him that, the first guy out. <clears throat> It just seems that guy stretches the whole offense out and, and makes it so that you have to make you know, a home run pass to get it going into the zone. And you know maybe that just needs to be pulled back a little bit when they're in the situation that they were against Winnipeg last night and, and not having um, you know, a lot of success against the pressure. At the same time, F1 has to release to pull the defense back too to give – give you a little bit less pressure to leave the zone with so exactly maybe they're maybe they're leaving too early or maybe they're going too far when they're leaving but it can't just not happen well i mean you look at a lot of teams i mean like if you look at how the panthers broke out 
when we were playing them and in Detroit too. I mean, a guy skating out of the defensive zone, I mean, he's surrounded by his own team players. It's like the the wedge in football from <laughs> olden days. I mean, it, it really, you know, it, there's there's a lot of close support. So, and, and I don't think that's what the Avs need to do because you're right. If you don't stretch out the defense, you're just going to turn it over in the neutral zone. But it just, you know, there needs to be a mix there, and it's, you know, it's just something they're going to have to figure out over the next 10 games. So, um, to completely pull a 180 here, I feel like we've been seeing some of Matt Duchesne's best all-around hockey in the last couple of weeks. He's been a beast. He scored twice this week um, with a couple of assists as well. He's just knocking on the door of 30 goals. He's playing well defensively. He's skating. He's skating like just rockets are on his shoes. Um, he he looks awesome. Yeah, he's a special player. I mean, if you look at his season, starting out as as kind of hamstrung as he was, then moving to right wing and suddenly becoming you know a fantastic scorer. And now he's back at center, and he's taking, you know, a, a rookie basically in Grigorenko, who's making, who's also playing fantastically. But it's just, you know, he's he's young and doesn't know exactly what to do all the time. And then again, who's not, you know, really quick anymore. But if you if you give him the puck in the right space, he can do a lot with it. Um, he's really making that whole line work, and it's, I mean, he's incredibly valuable. Whose goal was it? Uh, Martinson's goal. That's who it was. Oh, yeah. Oh, that little move at the blue line once he brought it in. Oh. The way yeah, that he, he does shit like that all the time, too. The way that yeah. when you actually just, like, I wish I wish more people could go to live games and they could just, like, have, like, a one, like, an ISO cam on him to see him and, and the way that he just, he does so many little things really well offensively. You know, defensively, he's he's hit or miss. He's been a lot better lately. But I'm, let's just say that after six years, I'm not 100% sold. That that's just magically who he is now. But he does so many little things that create space, that create opportunities for people around him. He's so dangerous with the puck and skating. Like, when you watch, when you watch how teams defend him against how they defend McKinnon given their similar skill sets it's it's interesting to watch because teams will will back off of McKinnon and kind of let him skate himself out of a play whereas Duchesne they have to pressure him a little bit but they always have to support that guy knowing that you know Duchesne can blow by somebody at any given moment but the way that Duchesne creates space consistently he does so many little head fakes things with the puck things with his skates like he watches the defenseman watching him, and then he he reacts based upon that. He says, okay, this is, this is what you're waiting for. I'm going to give you this, and then I'm going to take it away. And it gets the guy moving in a direction, gets him space somewhere else, and he, he takes advantage of it so well. He is such a creative and interesting player right now. And strong, too. I mean, the... I think the strength, I mean, we've seen a, a little bit of it over the years, but the strength that he's shown playing a, a lot of wing earlier this year, what he did in the corners and from behind the net, 
I mean, <clears throat> some guy will cross-check him, like, right in the back of the neck and put him right on the ice, and he'll get up instantly and have the puck and start doing stuff again with it. That's um, been hilarious to watch. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's, all right, you've knocked me down, but the puck's still right in front of me, so well done, I guess, and now you're getting scored on. Yeah. Of course, he's, he's been really strong on his skates for several years now. It's been just outstanding to watch. Yeah, but I mean, I think he's using his strength in ways that, you know, you see him a lot stick handling with one hand while he's got the defender at bay with the other. And you're just like, most guys couldn't do that with both hands. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's really, it's really fun to watch. I mean, I, he just amazes me all the time. So I'm a big fan. Yeah. I just, I just wanted to uh, take a moment away from our, uh, Long, drawn-out spiel of everything with the lead is terrible, and let's say, look how good Matt Duchesne is. <laughs> That's right. Well, Matt Duchesne appreciation segment. Speaking of appreciation, um, what happened to Chris Begra? He got hit in the head, now he has a concussion, and nobody knows. Yeah, he got hit in the head with what? Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> I'm he, came so in, he came in one day and he told the trainer, he said, Hey, you know, I'm, I've got some headaches. I'm feeling a little, you know, I've got this and that. And they said, all right, we're going to sit you down we're going to, we're going to put you through concussion protocol. And there he remains. It happens. So yeah, I really, honestly, I, nobody really seems to have a good answer. Nobody knows. Where where it happened, how it came, nobody knows how serious it is. You know, he's now coming up on a miss. He's missed a week of games, so you know, was this just the beginning of something serious, or is this going to be like Nate Ginnon's concussion, where it was like, oh, well, he missed a week and a half, and it was, you know, all right. Or Skillies, yeah, um, yeah. You know, is is this a minor thing, or is this? Or are we looking at Jesse Winchester? We have we have no no idea. There's you know, we have no update. And we won't get an update until like he's skating hard or in a roster. Yeah, well, and you know, with the team not in town, I can't I can't be part of any of the media stuff. So exactly, but like <clears throat> even if they were, we wouldn't get any updates until his status changed in a very obvious way that we wouldn't really need an update to see because that's just the way concussions are um, yeah i just... mean if he gets out there and he skates you know first thing you're gonna ask all right he's skating when does he actually return to the ice and play and it would be we're gonna give him a couple of practices to find his legs and then he'll play yeah so it's, we'll we'll give it a few give it a few days see how it goes and we have no timetable for his return but we hope it'll be soon yeah, and honestly, I mean, I actually have no idea when the team is going to be in Denver again. You know, they've got three days off right now. I assume they're here right now. I assume they flew home last night because there's no reason not to. Yeah, that's what Haynes said last night. Is that they would fly home. I assume they'll practice here tomorrow, um, yeah. and then they'll leave. They'll have, like, a morning thing, and they'll leave on uh, Tuesday to go to Vancouver, and we won't see them again until the after the Oilers game. But, you know, these three days off, man, I don't uh, – it's just too much. They have three days off, and then they play They play three games in, in five days, and then they have three days off, and then they play four games in six days. Bursts. Bursts of games. Yeah, it's 
you know, and their schedule. Oh my God, how important is this Canadian trip? Yeah, um, you know what? We still have more to talk about, but let's go ahead and get into next week um, because the the playoff race being as tight as it is, let's uh, let's look at next week. By the way, we're planning to keep the podcast to Tuesday next week because there's three Colorado Avalanche games and one of them is late on Sunday. So this will just make a, make us a better recording schedule. The Canada road trip continues in Vancouver against the struggling Canucks on Wednesday, 8 o'clock Mountain, then moves to Alberta on Friday with a 7 o'clock game against the Calgary Flames. And finally, on Sunday, they finish the trip up with a 7.30 start against the Edmonton McDavid's. All games are on altitude here in the U.S. Those, I mean, you say must win about every game, but this has to be six points. Yeah. Huh. Oh my! I just got a I just got an interesting message, kind of kind of relevant to this to this discussion that the there will be no media coverage of the Avalanche from the Denver Post for the last three games of this road trip. No kidding. Yep. Hmm. I'm not going to be there. Um, obviously, Rick Sadowski isn't going to be there, and the Denver Post just pulled out. So. We got nothing. We got Van- we got Vancouver, Edmonton, and Calgary to cover the Avalanche for us. Yep. That's that was, that's weird. I literally just got that message while you were talking. Yikes. I was surprised Chambers was in Winnipeg. That's. I knew they were talking about cuts, but oof. That's unfortunate. I didn't realize they were talking about cutting their coverage of a team in a playoff race. Yeah, that's real unfortunate. That's okay. That 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 just gives them more resources to put seventeen more people out at Dove Valley to see what the Broncos are doing in free agency. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I, I did. It's kind of just got us off track there. But yeah, no. These games are these games are huge, man. They they have got to they've got to walk out with six points, in my opinion. Yep. Given the difficulty of the schedule immediately afterwards, they have to walk out with six points. Yeah, they, they they get Philly at home after that, which is I mean Philly aren't great, but yeah, they're, they're better than any of these teams. Right, and Philly will be the last game of the season that they're probably favored. Right, because then after that you get just a mess. Yeah, it's it's all playoff teams in Minnesota. <laughs> the way I look at it, I hope those, we're still saying that in April. Have, all those teams have something to play for too. So yeah. And they're looking at it like, God, we got to beat the Avalanche. If we don't beat the Avalanche, we're screwed. And, it, you know, I think everyone's sort of looking at games with that same mindset. So um, I think playing the teams that are still in it, it could actually be easier if the Avalanche can take advantage of it than playing, you know, like I look at Calgary and Edmonton. I'm like, these guys could care less. I mean, they could just go out there and, and pinch two defensemen on every play. Why not? Right. Play you like know? wild men. Exactly. If they, you know, try to win every game 8-6 or whatever. I thought that was the Oiler model anyway. <laughs> I think they kind of have to. <laughs> they traded Justin Schultz, you know? It, it, was, a, it was an organizational shift. They, <laughs> they traded a future Norris Trophy winner. Sheesh. No, but really, basically every team that the Avalanche are playing, those teams are still playing for seeding. They're playing for the opportunity to play Colorado or Minnesota in the first round. Yeah. And they would much rather do that than play Nashville, who's going to scare them. 
Colorado's not going to scare anybody, I don't think. No, probably Dallas. not. Yeah, well, Fire I Dallas did see some. The I saw some Stars fans yesterday on Twitter that were like, right now, if the season were to end, you know, and the points were to stay the same, assuming Minnesota lost their game in hand, the Stars would play the Avalanche. And they were like, maybe we should really start rooting against the Avalanche here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they don't want nothing to do with Simeon Varlamov in the playoffs. Not yeah. Yeah, that, not when they're countering with Anthony Niemi and Corey Lennon. I could see an Avalanche Stars se- series being four games either way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many series that, could that you was, say that about? I really, I, I really want Colorado seven and, games and having eighty goals too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be so much fun, like as a third party viewer. And torture for both <laughs> franchises' fan bases. Yeah. No, I want I want Colorado, Anaheim. Those those teams fucking hate each other. <laughs> they oh my god, the disdain when they talk about each other. Ugh. That was the first time. It was the first time I'd ever actually gone into the opposing locker room after an, uh, a morning skate. Was the Anaheim game last week, and there was just so much vitriol. They're just like, ugh, Colorado scumbags. Like they just don't. They, they don't like the Avalanche, and the Avalanche players are like, yeah, f them. Is it is it a respect thing, or is it just a, a just a, a hatred thing? I think they just. I think it stems from the head coaches, dude. Yeah. I, could I honestly, I I think Bruce Boudreaux and Patrick Waugh fucking hate each other, <laughs> and I think it just it just carries on down because they they do not like each other. It does not feel like a. It doesn't feel like that. Like the Colorado Detroit, there's an underlying level of respect there that exists the whole time. Because you're clearly the top two teams in the league throughout the whole. Right. Time. It's it's. I think I think they're just like I. No, like if if that dude's truck broke down in a snowstorm and I happened to roll upon him, I'd just fucking roll by. <laughs> I'd roll the window down and flip him off as I went by. Yeah, I think I I get I get the impression, and I obviously I could be wrong about this, but I get the impression that Duchesne would do a donut around Corey Perry's truck <laughs> and just try to bury him even further, and then he would just drive off and go play some country music somewhere. That's well, I mean that's that's funny that, that you put it that way, considering how much like Corey Perry Landeskog sometimes tries to play. Yeah, well, and oh, dude, the Landeskog hate is it's 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 real. There, a lot of a lot of guys on a lot of teams don't like that dude. Yeah, no, a lot of that's that's hatred that comes with respect though. Like they speak like he's they think he's a good dude. But on the ice, you know, he plays on that edge. But it's not like Brad Marchand where they're just like, no, fuck that guy. <laughs> but that's a that's a that's a respectful hatred for for Landeskog. But there is there is a lot of dislike in opposing locker rooms, especially in the West. It's the same way with fans too. You I mean? Yeah, but fans are idiots. You interact with yeah. fans. <laughs> they they hate Landy. Yeah. Well, I mean, they they think he's like, you could you could just hang out on Reddit for no. If you were to hang out on like our hockey for like an hour after any Avs game in which Landis does anything good or bad, and you'll get 
so much Landeskog hatred just just pours out into that message board. That's awesome. <clears throat> People think he's just scum, and I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean, it, he's what he plays in a way that everyone wishes they had on their team and can't stand when they face it against them. Oh yeah, absolutely. And fans, fans connect the way that you play on the ice with who you are as a person, and they just don't think about that. Like I said, fans are idiots. Yeah, we're all dumbasses. Yep. So <laughs> we're all complete morons. Well, I mean, how much hate did PK Subban get until we figured out that he's pretty awesome off the ice? Well, how much hate does he still get? Yeah, I know. Is, like, even though it's like blatantly obvious that is one of the coolest dudes in the league. Should be like the face of the league. Yeah, and you still get when when that one day after we beat them and it was like, oh, are they going to trade PK? <laughs> and I hopped on the BSN Twitter and was like, would you trade for P.K. Subban? And people were like, he's terrible in the locker room. And I'm like, okay. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Okay. <laughs> I, I asked. Have a my guy fault. like that on our team. My, my fault. <laughs> Sorry. I asked the question. You guys are just answering with your unfortunate opinions. <laughs> Speaking of Subban, have we got any updates on him since that his injury wasn't serious? All I know is that it wasn't serious. Okay. But I admittedly have not been paying incredibly close attention to non-Avalanche hockey. I haven't either. I just saw that he got hurt by a butt, and I had to find out more about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... Hurt by a butt. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. But. It'd be such a good. It'd be such like a like if what if what if that was like the career ending injury and that would be like the title of the book. Hurt <laughs> my butt. <laughs> uh, I anyway. think you could apply that to a lot of NHL injuries. But enough about Matt Cook. Um, speaking oh. of <laughs> Montreal folks, um, Jared Snorty got suspended for 20 games for breaking the "Thou shalt not." Use performance enhancing drugs commandment. When? Hmm? When? This week. <laughs> no, when did he do it? You may not have noticed that that happened because he plays for the Coyotes now. He doesn't, though. He gets scratched every game. Just like Montreal. Exactly. Yeah. I... <laughs> and you may not have noticed that trade either because you're more interested in the part of it where John Scott went to the Canadiens. And everyone was like, well, this is really weird. He's an all-star captain that we voted for for fun. And then... Wait, name the other guy that was in that trade. Victor uh, Bartley. Billy Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Bernie Nichols. Nice. Johnny Johnson. Uh, and so after that trade, Mark Bergevin said an interesting thing. He said, the timing... That was the timing to make the trade with John Scott. That has nothing to do with the Montreal Canadiens, with the All-Star game. I made a trade that at the time I had to make that trade. I have a reason that I can't really tell you why, but if I could, you would probably understand. Number one, don't fucking say that. What's wrong with you? <laughs> tell him, Steve. Sounds tell like him. he's talking to his girlfriend. <laughs> Number two. Nice. Um, well, now Tenorti's been suspended for using the old doping things. 
And, of course, he's got his statement. Oh, I didn't know, but I'll take responsibility on you know, copy and paste performance-enhancing drug statement. Yeah. But I'm just curious whether you guys have put on the tinfoil that a bunch of other people are putting on, and they're like, hmm, I think Montreal kind of knew this was coming. I, you know, I think it's pretty obvious they did. Um, yeah. And I think they were, you know, I'm not going to say they were trying to cover it up, but they are trying to ameliorate the situation before the trade went through and it just you know the coyote's like no we gotta do this now and you know sort of haste makes waste on their part so um this was also like if if the team knows about it how does the team know about it does the team does the league know about it and how does that happen? <laughs> I mean, there's there's so much tinfoil to go into this that it's just a fun thought experiment for me. The only the only process, and I don't know I don't know how it works in the NHL, but I know in the NFL uh, the process works that uh, the the drug test comes back positive, the the league informs the team and the player at the same time, and then it's like months before it gets announced. Like months go by. They talk about appeals. They talk about blah, 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 blah. Like, the player doesn't find out the same day the public does. At least this is – this is, all I know is how the NFL process works. And so I, I don't know if the NHL is any different, but I know at least in one of the pro leagues that there are like, like six months in between the actual positive test and a public announcement – which the team is already kind of, you know, they knew it was coming. They lined up their their ducks in a row. They figured it out, blah 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 blah. So, if that's if if the same if the same were to hold true for the NHL, obviously the Canadians would know, Tenorti would know. All of this would be expected. But it would kind of shock me because the the Coyotes have consistently said we didn't know about the positive test when we traded for him. What if Montreal does their own drug testing independent of the league? And are they allowed to? Are they allowed like collect? Do they know. allow it, for something it, like that? Maybe it came out through something totally different. I, you know, it, it, however it happened, they somehow knew about it. That could have happened independent of the league. Um. Or maybe he even went in and said, hey, I've been taking, you know, minoxidil or whatever it was and <clears throat> and said, it, you know, I, I just realized that's on the banned substances list, but I didn't know it when I took it. Um, and, and they were like, well, well, all right, we'll go out for a while, yada, yada, yada. And, and maybe they tried to just get him clean before he had to take a, an NHL drug test. I don't know. I mean, there's, you know, there's plenty of tinfoil you can put on this, but, you know, players do dumb things all the time. Yeah. Especially with substance, with, uh, you know, supplements that are, you know, not like pharmaceutical grade steroids or human growth hormone or, you know, things like that. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's as bad as it, it probably looks optically now, but you know, I, I think there probably was knowledge and cover up. It's just it's interesting to me how much the 
NHL could or could have not known because at that point it's like, all right, Montreal Canadiens player gets a positive test. That market, that news versus Arizona Coyotes player gets a positive test. Yeah, I see. This is where I think the real the real intrigue to the story comes in. One, I think the league knew about it. I think the the team knew about it. I think the player knew about it. And I think where the where the real juicy gossip here could could exist would be the league put the lean on Montreal to make the deal, so that when it was when it was time for it to come out publicly, that <coughs> it's Arizona Coyotes player gets suspended and everybody shrugs and goes okay. As opposed to, you know, like you're saying, a Montreal Canadiens player gets suspended and Canada lights itself on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, of, and in any situation, of course the Coyotes are going to say they had no idea. But, I mean, it kind of makes sense to if they knew what was coming, be like, well, we can't really afford to give up anything. How about John Scott? Yeah. He's a bad person. Floyd Landis should blow the whistle on him, and he's gone. Bye bye. Damn, that's that's cold, yeah. dude. <laughs> you didn't hesitate to turn doping into a cycling thing, and a, a, I guess I shouldn't be surprised given, <laughs> given your interests. Yeah, well, I mean, we we just uh, we did just step away for a minute due to sudden audio quality problems, and we may have lost track of where we were, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Jared Tenorti is going to sit for 20 games, um, and it will be 20 games, unlike Dennis Weidman, who after sitting for 19 games, found out he should only have been sitting for, t- for 10. <clears throat> so he gets some paycheck back. Um, I don't know about his nine-game suspension credit. I don't know if that'll exist or not. be cool if it did, though. <laughs> Maybe he gets nine free games on NHL.TV. <laughs> <laughs> You, you, so you think he might get nine? So you think he might get nine free games on an on an NHL TV? <laughs> I think that's a, a fitting recompensation. Well, I mean, you know, I I just think it would be really cool if he actually if this nine game credit actually existed. If other teams could trade for it, like if you traded a seventh round pick to Calgary for three games of suspension credit and got Landeskog back on the ice, that would be yep, amazing. Yep. Lou would be right in the middle of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lou would be going, hmm, how can I make this a, something that I can pay for? Because I have more money than God. I'll pay you $5,826 per game. <laughs> like that voice. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what Lou sounds like. I just know what Greg Wyshynski thinks Lou sounds like, so... I, I feel like any Lamorello um, impression has to begin with "ara." <laughs> um, but so that's that's been a fiasco of a of an appeals process, and then with the ne- when we have our next lockout, that definitely needs to be addressed. Let's give that a timetable. Well, the thing is, right? If if the arbitrator can just change things on how he's weighing the evidence, why don't they just make the arbitrator do all the the suspensions in the first place? You know, because if he's going to reduce all of them, then you may as well just appeal it right up the board and waste everyone's time. 
I have no response to this. Me neither. You know, I mean, if you knew that he was going to reduce Landis Gog's suspension to two games, if you were the Avs, wouldn't you want to do that right off the bat? Yes. I also have no response to this. Um, so let's close out today with a quick update of how things have been going in San Antonio. Um, I think we have we can sum that up in one word. Poor. That was a nice uh, word. Yeah. Now they're just you know. It, it's 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 a lost season. One thing that's interesting is that. You know, for the past couple of years, obviously the Monsters never made the playoffs, but I mean, they did back in the, I think it was with David Quinn, but under Dean Chanel, they never made the playoffs. But every year he would take it right down until mathematical elimination before saying, you know, we're looking forward to next year and, and you know, giving some young guys some time and, and, and looking at we've what we've got. And last weekend, that's that's basically what he said. And I mean, they're they're not mathematically eliminated at all. Um, I don't know how much that helps. I mean, there seems like there's going to be a ton of turnover. So, you know, it's nice to see Mason Gertson get some time, and it's you know, it's nice to see Troy Burke get some time. Um, you know, it's nice to see Hubert Labrie traded away to the Chicago Wolves. Um, but they're just, you know, <clears throat> they don't have a good team. They're not playing well. Miko Rantanen still scoring points and, and looking good out there. Uh, Nikita Zagorov is playing better and better. He had a, a bit of an injury a couple of weeks ago, and he's recovered from that. And, you know, he's, he's really looking strong now. And as far as other people that might eventually play for the Avs one day, um, Dennis Everberg is playing well, and that's about it. Um, Everberg's kind of an interesting guy because his contract is up, yeah. and they have to make decisions on Rendelich, Everberg, and Martinson. Yeah. Um, do you think that Everberg's play down there has warranted maybe them looking at a guy like, say, Jack Skilly and saying – we were, you know, we appreciate what he's done this year, but his game has fallen off so hard in the second half of the season that we feel like Everberg could come in and, you know, compete for that job next year. I really think he can because exactly what Patrick said last year is, you know, he he wanted him to spend a year in the AHL and really kind of hone his his puck skills and his scoring skills, and I, I think he's really done that. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he's, you know. He's an important scoring forward down there, and he's he's really gotten a lot better with with being an offensive guy while still being solid defensively. So, I, I, you know, I would really think that you know he, he could come in and compete for a job on the Avalanche next year um, in, in camp. Well, um, <clears throat> we could be looking at a pretty big roster crunch next season, given. Um, you know, given we all expect Ranton and will make the jump, and then obviously whatever they decide to do with the whole Matthias <clears throat> Bodker free agency situation, yeah, you know, and we we're all assuming the Avalanche would like to keep all these guys because they all make them better, but you know, the, there is a salary cap that they have to contend with, and guys need raises and extensions and blah 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 blah. So you might have to be looking at 
making a tough choice and and bringing back a guy like Everberg to play a role. So, I you know, I think it's I, I think he you know I, I think he would be the next call up. Um, if, if if a forward was injured right now and they needed to call someone up for this trip, I think that he would be the next guy because um, in in Dean's comments this week, he said that that Mika would be with the Rampage for the rest of the season, which makes perfect sense. Yeah, it does. There's no no sense in burning an ELC at this point. It makes more <clears> sense <throat> than what the big club is saying, which is well, I mean, we, we've got eight defensemen on the lineup. One of them could slot in a forward. It's, I mean. Given Stop that. Have, <laughs> given what you have to work with, I, I, I think they were thinking maybe Redmond would would fill that role, but I, I have a feeling he might put not put skates to ice again for the. Island. I don't think he sees the ice again in an Nazi uniform. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that after is, that one play, Patrick Waugh did all but wave him in person on the bench right there. Well, have you guys seen that GIF from? Uh, I guess TSN had it where he he. He, I guess he's looking at Dave Farish, and he yeah, puts well, two fingers twice and then the slashing motion across yeah. the throat. Yeah, I tweeted about it last night right after it happened because I was watching that feed, and he just, Me I mean, he he says 22. I mean, no more. But yeah. he's done. <laughs> now, to me, I was like, it was, it was hard to tell who he was because it was off camera who he was looking at. He could have been sh- showing eye contact with Redmond and saying, you're done. Yeah, I assume he was talking to Dave Farish because Dave Farish is in charge of the defenseman uh, going out when they go out. So well, whoever it was, Redmond's night was over, and yeah. well, he he went out for eight seconds for some reason, but and the uh, the amount of kerosene behind Waugh's eyes just uh, said yeah. it may be more than tonight. <laughs> yeah, he hated that play. Well, and it it wasn't even just that one. It had been an entire game of him doing those things. You know, Dario and I were talking about it on the game during the game last night. Like throughout the evening, we were we were back and forth about it, about how he just he does so many little things poorly or just flat out wrong. I mean, he makes so many little mistakes all over the place that for a guy that's just a borderline talent, out. I mean, you just can't, you just can't like you. Right. Uh, and Earl, since I've got you here, I'm, I really do want to ask you because I am I am curious, and I know that fans I mean fans hit us up all the time about it, but I don't I don't feel comfortable answering, so I ignore it. But I mean, would would Nikita Zadorov really be a strong upgrade over Bodnarchuk twelve minutes a night? I think playing with Jelena, I think he might be. Um, I, I think that I think that Patrick would really hate putting. Bigrons and Zadorov together out there, just you know, I think any coach would having two right. less rookies together. But you know, I I think that if you put him with Jelena, or even did sort of what they were doing, put Jelena with Barry and then Zadorov with with Holden, I, you know, I think that might be a better way to go. Um, how much better? It's it's you know. I, I don't know how they feel about Chucky, you know, as a player. I, I don't think they like him that much, but they, they, they seem to be fine with putting him out there all the time. So They seem to feel better about him than I do. Yeah, they do. <clears throat> um, but, you know, now that he's sort of gotten healed from his lower body injury and, 
you know, he, he's been really strong offensively and, and good defensively. He's playing with Gennon down there and, and say what you want about him. Gennon is, is probably the best defensive defenseman down there. Oh, I think Nate Gennon is probably a really good AHL player. Yeah, he, he was, he's kind of, I mean, it's so hard to say because the defense is so terrible in general down there. I mean, Matt Clark, Brandon Gormley, don't, don't get me started, but, um, you know, it, it, <clears throat> I, I think Zadorov might be a, a solid call up for that if if they really need it. I don't, I don't think his offensive skills are going to translate to the NHL right off the bat, and I don't think they'd want him to. I think if they called him up, they'd just be like, "Look, take care of your own end. If you get a shot at, at doing something offensively, make sure it's a good one." But that's not why you're here. And, I, you know, I, I, I think it, it, you know, we, we know Chucky's weaknesses and he's not going to add much at either end. So, you know, why not? Well, some guys have to go down before he would ever make it up, um, which I don't know. Maybe Redmond will be the first. Um, but I do need to start winding things down here. So as a quick reminder, next week, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, predictions. Four points. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Ringing endorsement. That's I don't, dude. I had, I stopped making predictions. <laughs> then is... I just I stopped making them because then I start rooting for them and I just it screws up my objectivity. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, then I won't make you give us any predictions. We do know this is an exact reverse opposite kind of team because they do things like shut out Anaheim and then lose to the Jets. Although, if you know anything about the Colorado Avalanche, losing to the Jets is never a surprise. Right. I think there's some unfinished business with Vancouver with the way Miller played last time. And, you know, I think any time that, that Waugh and Hartley get together, that's, that's something that the guys are going to get up for. I, I think Edmonton's going to beat us. I think it's five points. I, I think they finally get another overtime loss under their belt, and we're all very thankful for it. You know what's interesting about the thing? I, I feel the same way about Edmonton in general just because they've, for whatever reason, been good against us for so long. It's because we're the same team. We just have goaltending. Look at look at the results that we've had this year. We beat them 5-1 to one at home, and you know, not that I got to see that game. Thanks, Carr. <laughs> uh, Help me. Yeah, but um, and and, and uh, triple A or towing guy, whoever it was. <laughs> oh yeah, the one that bailed on me. That fuck. <laughs> yeah, no, but that and then we went into Edmonton. You know, the Avalanche went into Edmonton and beat them pretty handily. Like that was not a close game, in my opinion. They 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 jumped on them. They got the lead. They held them off. They didn't. It was a win, <laughs> but it wasn't a Mick win. Yeah, it didn't. It, it wasn't, yeah. I mean, I they've played them twice this year, and I feel like they've, and I know the five to one win. I think they were pretty, they were pretty heavily outshot that game, like all game long. It was just one of those games, but I mean, it's it's some. I mean, five to one. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's gonna happen. It's after it's like, after it's the third goal goes in, it becomes garbage time real quick. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, it's it's just. I feel I feel they I feel good about the matchups. You know, the their last game against Vancouver, like you're right. I mean, Ryan Miller stole those points from them. 
and and poor goaltending from Colorado hurt. But I mean, Colorado smoked them up and down the ice all game long. I mean, they they were that was not a close closely contested game or anything. Not at all. I mean, I, I enjoyed watching Miller's performance, but it was very frustrating to watch. Yeah, well, I was and I was happy that a garbage goal broke his shutout because he, you know, he got he got bailed out a couple of times through the game, and he played great. And I was like, yeah, take that. <laughs> but I've also watched Simeon Varlamov lose how many shutouts over the last couple of years in the final two minutes of games yep. on nonsense like that. So that's probably just me being vindictive and immature. <laughs> Take that rest of the universe. Yeah, it's your turn. I mean, realistically, like the only team on that on on that that actually kind of bothers me is Calgary, and they don't bother me that much because they don't have a goaltender. So it's like, okay, well, you know, we'll t- I'll, I'll take a swing at that team. If, if they want one, we can give them one back. Yeah. We'll take Taking, draft picks for them because we we'll take, can't add any more players for any potential playoff run. We'll take we'll take draft pick. We'll just do the second rounder. Yeah. GG. Wrap it up. So Sorry. Earl says four points. I say five points. And AJ says I'm going to have points. Yeah. And those are our good, predictions for the week. What's the official BSN prediction for the week? Oh, the BSN would like to say. That's right. All right. Well, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for being here, guys. It's a little bit later than usual. It was a good time. Daylight yeah. savings time has destroyed me, so quite a bit later than usual. I'm allowed to say bad words on this podcast. <laughs> I get every time I do it on my own, I get in trouble. So. That's funny. I know. I wish you had been able to to repeat what EJ was saying uh, after the was that the Ducks game? The it was after yeah it was after they beat Minnesota in overtime. Oh yeah, yeah. That was I, a great segment, by the way. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was it was fun. I mean, it was it was tough because we talked a lot about the lines that we had to draw leading into it. You know? Yeah. Like what? What are we comfortable talking about? What's what's not such a good thing to talk about? And I I feel like I feel like we walked the line pretty well in terms of we told we told stories that were interesting and insightful, but were appropriate as well. Yeah, and and I mean you weren't violating locker room type confidences too. I mean, right. It's it's stuff fans want to know about, but the players are fine having fans know about. Yeah, exactly. And that was that was where we kind of had because we talked for a whole week. We knew we were doing that segment, and we talked for a whole week leading up. What well, you know? What stories do we have that we can't tell? What's you know? What stories do we have that we would really like to tell, but we really shouldn't? And so, some of the ones that we got cut would be great for a book. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, now you know why Dater doesn't work for the Post anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, speaking of words you can't say, I I enjoyed TSN broadcasting Dustin Bufflin saying, "Are you fucking kidding me?" like six times and, in three minutes. And <laughs> blow the fucking whistle over yeah. and over and over and over and over and over. Yeah. Well, we didn't get that on altitude. <laughs> oh yeah, no, he was screaming at that referee, "Blow the fucking whistle!" over and over and over and over. And then, are you fucking kidding me? It was like, <laughs> dude. And it was on TSN, loud and proud. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was. 
It was then very, I very. Or, or was that even TSN? I don't know anymore. It was Canada TV, whatever it was. Yeah, it was CBC. Um, H and I C. Was that on Duchesne's goal? Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh! Yes, they were animated. He was I mean, very if animated. If that had happened to the Avs, I'd be just as angry. So I mean, I you know I could totally you know see why you'd be. It, it wasn't covered until we yeah. saw the replay. Then you wouldn't be angry anymore because you'd see the puck was never yep. covered. Yeah, like clearly not covered. And for once, an official did a great job of getting into position. Yeah, the dude was right there. I mean, he's looking right at his yeah. crotch basically. And yeah, <laughs> like looking right through the net. Like, no, there's anything wrong on. with that. Well, hey, if we uh, if we have any more players shouting, are you fucking kidding me on on TV next week? We'll definitely talk about it here. Yes, let's do that. Yeah. So, thanks again to you guys for joining me today on a rather late recording episode, but uh, we'll uh, we'll definitely get things moving again. You know, at like times and stuff. Uh, probably be Monday night that we will record next week and release, you know, pretty much immediately after that, given uh, given the app schedule. But you can check out the podcast on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash myhighhockeypodcast and mixcloud.com slash myhighhockeypodcast for Mixcloud as well. Um, follow us on iTunes where you can subscribe and rate and review and all those wonderful things and not have to worry about downloading it or going to the site and looking for it. It'll be right there for you. We're enabling your laziness here on the My High Hockey Podcast. Um, get the newest abs news and updates at milehighhockey.com on Facebook at facebook.com slash milehighhockey and on Twitter at milehighhockey and keep an eye out on AJ and friends at BSN Denver with their avalanche coverage. It's awesome. We'll see you guys next week. Where, where did Earl go? We haven't heard from Earl in like five I'm minutes. Sorry, I, I, I just, uh, there was a grease fire I had to put up. What? I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, sorry, I, I, I might have missed the last minute. What's going on? He was, he was talking to the lady, and I was trying to talk to you, and you weren't saying anything, so I was talking to myself. <laughs> So I was reading this TSN thing about expansion draft and the GM meetings. Who'd we get? (laughs) (laughs) Nice.